If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of 1 John. We're back in 1 John, which is near the, the back of the New Testament. We're going to be looking this evening at a passage in chapter 3, specifically verses 11 through 18. So if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely without error. 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, Lord, we ask that You would open up Your Word to us, that You would show us clearly Your love for us, a love that You have shown in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that You would give us opportunity to show Your love to others, that we might truly follow after You, This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. It's interesting in God's providence that the matter comes up from a prayer request about how would we know what a good Christian church is? How do we find proper Christian fellowship? And I think for many of us there are a myriad of answers that would come into our heads, most of which would initially revolve around belief. Ask them about the Trinity. Ask them about the Incarnation. Ask them about the Atonement and Christ's death on the cross. Ask them about the Resurrection. Ask them about missions and evangelism. And all of these things are true. But the interesting thing is that I think John gives us an answer here in this passage. He says, we can know that we truly are followers of Christ if we love the brothers. For you see, that love is founded upon all of those great truths. But unless those great truths are lived out in our lives and change who we are, they're not really real to us. And so John, the apostle of love, again again brings to us a test, a test of what it means to follow Jesus. And this evening we look at the test of love. 
John has been over and over again showing us various contrasts so that we might understand what the true faith is. Actually, that's the purpose of John's letter here. He is trying to teach the church of Jesus Christ what it means to be a true follower of Christ. Because you will recall from the outset of this letter that John had been dealing with a schism. Heretics had tried to hijack the gospel. They tried to say that what they said was true and you didn't need to believe what the scriptures had said. They had changed the gospel around for their own purposes. And so John has been going through contrasting the true and the false. In chapter 1, at the beginning of this book, he contrasted a true fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit with a false fellowship. Later in chapter 1, in the beginning of chapter 2, he began to contrast true and false attitudes about sin. What it means to view sin through the lens of faith in Christ. Later in chapter 2, he contrasted true and false Christians, those who claim to follow Christ and those who actually do. And just previous to our passage here this evening, in chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, he contrasted true and false actions. That those who are followers of Christ, who believe in Christ, practice righteousness. And that those who do not practice righteousness, but who practice wickedness, are not followers of Christ, but followers of the evil one. And the key verse is verse 10 of chapter 3. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now you see what John is setting up here. He's saying we can know our parentage, as it were, what we are like by our actions. But that notice how verse 10 ends. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. You see, what John is doing is highlighting love as the sum or the great example of practicing righteousness. It's not different from practicing righteousness. It's not different from following Jesus. It is the supreme example of what it means to practice righteousness and follow Christ. You see, some are children of God... Some are children of the devil. And you see, we've always had a problem in some sense trying to figure out exactly what that means because you see, it is not just in what we say that things matter. It's in how we live out the truth of the gospel. And so now what John will begin to do, beginning at verse 11, is to outwork the truth at the end of verse 10. We see that immediately in the very first word in verse 11. For, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. What he is doing now is he is explaining what it means to practice righteousness. Explaining what it means to be a child of God. Explaining what it means in terms of love. And he tells us that this is an essential message. This is not an add-on to the church. Because he says, this is something that you have heard from the very beginning that we should love one another. And this was Jesus' message, after all, over and over again. John records 
at least three times specifically this statement by Jesus in his gospel. In John chapter 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then again in chapter 15 at verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And again in verse 17, These things I command you, so that you will love one another. You know, many years ago, a mentor in the faith said to me, If you go in the Bible and you see the occasions where Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you ought to pay attention. Jesus is saying, twice to you, pay attention. I would put it to you that if Jesus says something three times, we ought very much to pay attention to what he is saying. He is repeating himself for emphasis and for our ability to understand and remember what he is saying. And so what John will now do is begin to spell out what this new commandment is, this commandment that we have had from the beginning. And it is about the supremacy of, of love. Now, if you ask yourself, what are the most important things about your faith? Perhaps first you might say, the critical thing is to know we're actually in the faith. To actually know we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I think secondly, the second broad category would be knowing how we are to live in the faith. To know that we are followers of Jesus and to know what that means in our lives. And what John does is, he puts love as the sum of these things. He says, we know we have redemption because we love. Look with me at verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. We know that we have been transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Christ. How? Because we love the brothers. So if we are to know that we are truly followers of Jesus Christ, that our faith is real, that what we say means something to us, then we need to test ourselves in the field of love. So I would encourage you initially, so many get caught up in all of the extreme niceties of theology. There are some who are drawn astray, wondering about what it means to be elected, for example. And they can't get their mind around that. And they can't understand how they could relate to the Lord Jesus Christ unless they could perfectly understand election. Election is a great truth of the Scriptures. But we don't begin there. We begin much more practically with John. We know that we follow the Lord Jesus Christ if we have love for the people of Christ. And this is... The most important point, isn't it? It is the passage from death to life. It is where everything begins for us. We have no service or ministry to God. We have no ability to worship the Lord. We have no ability to help our fellow man unless we first know life. And we can know we have this life by love. I don't know if you have ever made it uh, a habit to watch any of these variety of medical shows on television or movies. I say this because I don't like to hang around emergency rooms. But one of the things you can tell, either from being in an emergency room or watching a medical show, is there are certain things that the doctors test to know whether someone is actually alive. 
There has to be a certain level of brainwave activity. There has to be a, a pulse. There has to be a certain amount of breathing. There are certain objective standards that doctors look for to see if someone is alive. This is what it is like for the Christian, too. You don't put your fingers on your wrist and feel your pulse. You see if you have love. And you see especially if you have love for your brothers and sisters. If you don't have love, John says, you may not have a pulse. You may not have passed from death to life. Because you see, if we get life from Jesus, we also get character from Jesus. We become as He is. We follow in His footsteps. And we have the love that Jesus has for His people. You see, the one who does not have love, John says, remains lost. Whoever does not love abides in death. Now, this does not ignore the importance of true doctrinal teaching. It does not ignore the factual history of the death and resurrection of Christ. But it does mean that we cannot remain unaffected by those great truths of the gospel. John says that if we are redeemed, if we know by faith the truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection... If we have been changed by Jesus, then it will come out of us. We cannot keep it in. And it becomes something visible for each of us. It's interesting that for John, there is absolutely no middle ground. Do you see this? Either you love or you hate. There is no lukewarmness for John. There are those who are alive and those who are dead. You can't be mostly dead. You can't be somewhat alive. You are either alive in Christ and experience the love of Christ, or you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. And you do not know love. And so we need to ask ourselves this evening then the question, how do we show our love for our fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me ask you three questions to ask yourself this week. How much time do you spend criticizing other Christians? I don't mean that we should be completely ignorant of the truth. I don't mean that we should try to correct others in their doctrinal misunderstandings. I mean the kind of criticism that is not meant to teach, to inform, and lift up and edify, but one that is meant to make us superior, to put others down, to denigrate them. Secondly, how often do we abandon the assembling of the saints? Now, I have to admit to some degree, I'm preaching to the choir here, you all are at an evening service. But there's an importance to gathering with the people of God. Of course, yes, we want to learn from God's Word. Of course, we want to worship the Lord. But there is a sense in which we gather together corporately and we do not have some form of private religion because we are forced to be with one another, to love one another, to pray for one another, to live in a community. And when we abandon the assembled worship of God, that is the first and most fundamental way that we bring a breach into our relationship with others. Thirdly, 
Do we neglect others' needs? Do we neglect to pray for others when they're in need? Do we neglect to provide a helping hand? To come alongside? To provide what assistance we can to others? You see, love is something that should be seen. Far too often in our world today, love is described merely as something felt that comes and goes. But the reality of love is that it is something to be seen. It is a covenantal commitment. And to help us understand this, John gives us two examples on the extremes, as it were. The first example he gives us is Cain. We see this in verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Now, Cain is the prototypical example of one who does not love. Interestingly enough, Cain is the only Old Testament name that is used by John in all of his letters. And he uses the example of Cain to show Cain's paternity. To show that Cain is a murderer like his father, the murderer from the beginning, the devil. This is what John says in chapter 3, verse 8. He says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And so he gets our attention here. He gives us an extreme example. Who could be worse than someone who kills his own brother? He's a murderer. Now stop and think about that for a minute. The very first person who was ever born into this world was a murderer. He killed his brother. And he did so in a foul way. The word that John uses for murderer here is the word that we use for slaughtering animals. For slaying someone. It's almost as if John wants you to get the image of Cain slitting his brother's throat. And this murder is not accidental or environmental. It comes out of his heart. You see, it comes out of the fact that his deeds were evil. Hebrews tells us in chapter 11 that Abel sacrificed by faith. And the implication is is that Cain sacrificed without faith. That he had no faith in the Lord himself. He was not doing what he was called to do out of love, but rather because he thought there was an advantage to him. And when that advantage wasn't seen, he became angry. And anger turned to hatred. And hatred turned to murder. He was selfish, looking out for himself. And if we view Cain that way, it should not surprise us, just as John reminds us, that this is the way the world hates. Because after all, isn't the world's attitude one of selfishness? And so what John tells us is, we need to be prepared for hostility from the world. And at the same respect, we need to be protected from the hostility of the world. The church should be a place where sinners can come together and know that they are safe and can be loved and not expect attacks. The church should be a place where you can let your guard down. Where you don't always have to be with clenched fists and your shoulders tightened. It should be a place where you know you are safe because love is found. 
The second example that John gives to us on the other extreme is our Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us that Jesus is the example of how we are to relate to one another. Look at verse 16. By this we know love. So how can we know love? We know love that He, that is Jesus, laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, Jesus' death is a great example to us of what it means to love others. That is not the only thing Jesus' death is. It is far more than an example. It is an atonement. It is the outworking of God's plan. But it is also an example It clearly shows us the linking between love and sacrifice. Have you thought about how often in the Bible the love of God is linked directly with the death of Christ? Perhaps the most famous passage in all of the Bible on God's love is what? John 3.16 For God so loved the world. Well, how did He love the world? He loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Paul writes in Galatians 2 about the love of God. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. And of course, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God shows His love for us. How? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the death of Christ is a supreme example for us of what love means. It is sacrificial. He laid down His life for us. John is very clear that Jesus was in complete control. He was not caught by surprise. He was not attacked unawares. He was the one who laid down his life. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he wanted to do it. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. So how do we follow Jesus in this love? What does it mean to love others? Some of you may have seen an excellent book by C.S. Lewis called The Four Loves. In which Lewis describes varying kinds of loves based on different words in the Greek language. Some appearing in the Bible and some not. The first word for love is eros. And that is a word for natural affection. It's the kind of love that even occurs amongst animals. It's an attraction that binds. And most prominently, it's an attraction that binds men and women together. A second kind of love is a love that is described by the word storge. This is a kind of family love. It's a love brought together by relationship and obligation. You know, many of you know that you have to love your brothers and sisters. You may not have chosen to, but once you're in the family, you've got to, right? It is a commitment 
It's not just about a feeling. After all, amongst brothers and sisters, far too often the feeling is more of bickering and fighting than of sweetness and love. But again, this tells us something about love. That love is not about sweetness and light and puppy dog eyes. Love is a part of a relationship, of a commitment. A third kind of love that is found in the Bible is phileo. We get philanthropy from this. This is where the Philippians come from. This is where philosophy comes from. Lovers of wisdom. It is a strong brotherly affection. It is the greatest form of love that man can have outside of God. It is a binding relationship in which we love and want to serve one another. But the highest form of love that we see in the scripture is agape. It is a God-enabled love. It is a covenantal love. A love where the emphasis is on self-sacrifice. Because that's what love is. Love is sacrificial. If we are to love one another, we must understand this. Because too many voices in our world today are telling us love is a feeling. We hear about people falling in and out of love. It's ridiculous. We think about love as something that comes and goes. And we also think about love as something that is dependent upon the worth of another person. I will love you if you are worthy of it. If you bring me pleasure. If you bring me safety. If you bring me joy. And if you don't, then I guess I don't need to love you anymore. But you see, biblical love is different. It is a commitment It is bounded by truth. Biblical love, by definition, is self-sacrifice. There is no way around it. If you're not sure of this, spend some time reading 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You see, all of these descriptions about love are something that costs. That's what love is. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is to accept the cost of loving, even as He has paid that cost. John's told us this. He's given us explicitly Jesus' example. And then He calls on us to follow Jesus. Do you see that at the end of verse 16? We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, We are not always called to die for one another. I don't expect someone to rush in here with a machine gun and for you to have to lay yourself out in front of someone else. I don't think this week you will need to jump in the road to push someone out of the way of a coming truck. But just because we don't have to see that extreme every day does not mean we are called to die, to die to self. Perhaps the best way that we can see this is the relationship of love between a husband and a wife. They're called to serve one another. 
to build each other up, to serve each other's needs. What makes a healthy and successful marriage is not winning, but giving. You see, this is what love is. A self-sacrificial commitment to die to self. Love finally is real, John says. Look with me at verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, we can't just talk about love. This helps no one. John says, how does it show that we love someone if we slam the door of our heart? That's what the word close here means. It means to slam it shut and lock it. How do we cut others off from our life and say that we are loving? It's just like James says in chapter 2, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in food, and you say to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, how does that help them? You see, love is to be grounded in the truth. It's not to just be produced by the tongue and words, but it is to be produced by the truth, which leads to action. So I ask you tonight, as you seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, are you ready to act now? Are you ready to display love for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, to show the love of Christ, to commit to them, to be self-sacrificing. Because that's what it means to be a child of God. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to know the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening that you have spurred us on to love. And we ask, O Lord, that you would remind us that you call us to a high calling, but that you have equipped us by the power of your Holy Spirit to take us to places that we could not ever think we could go. Shed abroad in our hearts the love of Christ, O Lord, that we might share that love with your people and with a world that is so in need of it. This we ask. In Christ's precious name, amen.